Hi, this is Stephanie. And this is Tony. And we just wanted to take a second to talk to you guys. We just sat down with Emily Rich, who is the new editor of the Delmarva Review. It was a fantastic interview. Yes, I believe she's the first editor of the Delmarva Review who also has traveled extensively with truckers. It is possible. I don't know that that's a very specific genre. Or that's a very specific pigeonhole. There's stories about black market cigarettes in Vietnam. There's stories about truckers. There's stories about flying to Missoula on a whim. I don't think we scratched the surface there. No, not even a little bit. It's 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 it's. So, but the reason we didn't is because there's even more stuff to talk about that's relevant to people who might be listening, like you. Yeah. So the Delmarva Review is actually running a contest, and the deadline is May 31st. They have a website, DelmarvaReview.com. All the contest details are there. And to also to get more people to think about the area, which works great for all the writers to kind of highlight the Chesapeake region as a place where they do local literature and it's fine. And we spoke with our friend Nancy about the same thing that they're doing over at Cat and Mouse Press. So Nancy Sakadusky of Cat and Mouse Press, she was on a recent podcast. She is actually running the Rehoboth Beach Reads Short Story Contest. And those entries are due before July 1st. Now, if you've listened this far, it's almost certain that you're following us on social media. But it's also possible that you're not. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, our handle is at SWYS Podcast. And if you'd like to find us on Instagram, we are So What's Your Story Podcast. And in case you get bored halfway through the show and don't listen to the end, there are a couple things you need to know. The first and the most important thing is we would really love it if you would write a review for our podcast on iTunes. And also, and as always, please send us your words that we can turn into limericks and haikus you could do that by visiting the so what's your story podcast.com website click on contact us fill out your name and email pick a word send us your address and i will make that word into a haiku tony will turn it into a limerick we'll put it on a postcard slap a stamp on it and put it in the mail all right and here's emily rich the Vietnamese government had just let out a group of political prisoners that were in re-education camps. Before that, all the refugees that we had were sort of victims of the war. Not that he wasn't a victim. I mean, of course he was, but it was he, you know, all of a sudden now we're getting all of the people that had worked with the South Vietnamese government, and it was a very different group of people than what we had been working with. And just the fact that he had been through this horrible experience and then wanted to help by being a translator and help the other people very moving. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Emily Rich, who is the new editor of the Dunbarber Review, a literary journal published on the Eastern Shore. She writes mainly memoir and essay, and her work has been published in a number of small presses, including Little Patunxent Review, The Pinch, and Hippocampus. Emily's essays have been listed as notables in the Best American Essays of 2014 and 2015, and her story, Black Market Pall Malls, won the BioStories 2015 War and Peace Essay Contest. So welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, I'm delighted to have you here, and I wanted to congratulate you on your new post as the editor of the Delmarva Review. Thank you. Yeah, and so we uh, met not too long ago, and we had lunch, and you know, I got a chance to, to meet with you and sit down and, and talk about that. And I was just wondering if you could um, 
for those of the, out there who didn't get a chance to listen to our lunch conversation, how did you get pulled into the Delmar Review and, and being their new editor? I think the first thing that happened was I had an essay published in Volume 7 of the Delmarva Review, and then I, um, they have local writers who get into the review. They have a reading. So I met um, Wilson and Wilson Wyatt, who was the former editor, just, just uh, left the magazine. Met him at the reading at the Writers' Center in Bethesda. Then we bought a place on the Eastern Shore, and so I signed up for the Eastern Shore Writers' Association, and I said I wanted to volunteer. And Wilson contacted me and said, do you want to be our editor? Which <laughs> <laughs> was kind of a surprise, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had been working with um, Little Patuxent Review. I was their nonfiction editor there, so it wasn't like this was brand new to me. But. Sure, that's kind of a big leap. If you're like, hey, I'll help out, and they're like, hey, be our editor. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of a big leap. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Little Patuxent Review, though, that's a, that's a nice magazine as well. Yeah, it's a great magazine, and I really like working with those people. Yeah. And how did you get involved with that? It's kind mind. of the same thing, yeah. <laughs> I got something published in there and then went to one of the readings, got to know the people, and... So the so the lesson is that you don't know when to not yeah, volunteer for yeah, something. Yeah. PTA, you know, like stuff. <laughs> and so you're. Uh, I don't know if you're the first essayist. We've, we haven't had many essayists on. So how did you how did you get to the point where you're like essays are kind of going to be my thing? I got to creative writing pretty late in life. I've always been like you know I worked for the federal government. I was a really good memo writer and <laughs> that sort of thing. I was always been able to write, but as I had a series of sort of family things and I started just writing creatively to work out some issues and, and so on and ended up really liking it. I, I think my talent is more <laughs> telling true stories. I was a history major. I, you know, sort of think along those lines. I love fiction and poetry and I admire people who can do that. It's, it's just more essay is more what I do. It's more the way my mind works. So this is my bag too. I, I, I do essays when I'm not doing, isn't it wonderful to look at the ocean story? <laughs> um, and I have like just a list of like, I'm, I'm going to have to write about that at some point. And just every now and again, I'll, I'll pick something off the list and I'll write a third of it. And I'll say, no, that was a bad idea. But is that, do you just have a list of what you're going to go through and yeah, I ha- and I have a bunch of, you know, <laughs> one-third finished essays on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's sort of the hallmark of any sort of uh, and any sort of writer is, and I was actually having this conversation with somebody uh, late last week, and they were talking about, like, you know, I've got this book, and then I, and then, but I, before I finished this one, I had this idea for this other thing, and, and I'm like, I don't know if it's we lose track, and then another idea becomes more interesting, and so we just sort of, you know, follow down that path. But I certainly understand the, the impetus to do, like, cre- would you consider it creative nonfiction, I guess? Yeah. Sort of what you do? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, creative nonfiction, it may be more, um, what you're doing, like on topics, so far I haven't broken away from like my own self. <laughs> oh no, no, yeah. everything I do is about me. Okay, okay, well then it's the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I mostly memoir is is what I do. What I've decided to call what I do is uh, speculative nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like I write it. mostly. Yeah, I, like I, I write a story, and I'm like, this is what I think will happen. Like uh, oh, I write, I write stories about strangers and their lives. So I add facts about the strangers, and then I make up facts that fit in with the facts that I've observed. Hmm. That is interesting. No, it's not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just, I have just finished, I've been working on a full length memoir and I just finished it. And now this I've set aside this week, I'm going to sit down and polish it and then try to get it. Oh, that's fantastic. So how did you, uh, 
How long did that take? What was the process Years, for that? Really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I started writing, um, I guess, about nine years ago. But a lot of the essays that I've had published have come from the book. Right. You know, so certain chapters, I like rewrite them as standalone pieces. But it's not a collection. It's, no, no. It's, and so you have enough stories to do a collection, but you wanted to fill in the spaces, do you think? I wanted it to be, yeah, just more tied together. I guess, rather than a series of essays. Although I've seen memoir done as a series of essays, and I think it can really work. It's just, yeah. There wasn't. It wasn't your bag. Yeah, it just. It seemed to the. There was just one whole storyline I could follow through. Now, when you're writing about people you know personally, see, that's why it's also easier for me to write about relative strangers because it's it's got to be tough to make sure that you're not. Like betraying confidences or hurting feelings, or I've always admired David Sedaris because he doesn't care if he betrays a confidence <laughs> or hurts a feeling, <laughs> and that's it's it's just there's a, there's an amount of 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 courage that it takes, but there's also you know there's also an amount of delicacy. Like he has to end up being the jerk, and any anytime he's at somebody is a jerk, he has to be a worse jerk. And uh, so, how do you navigate that? Like, how's how's the husband feel about the story that you read? And if you'd like to hear. Uh, uh, spoilers! If you'd like, if you'd like to hear an, ex- an excerpt from 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 an essay, you can do that. You on know, it's really funny with my husband because I've got three grown children, and the, especially I have two girls and a boy. And especially the girls, they they read everything that I write, and you know, even one of them was a subject of an essay that I wrote. And you know, <laughs> she thought I did ask her. I said before I try to get this published, is it okay? And she thought it was hilarious. You know, sort of like teenage hijinks story. Right. Um. But, so she was fine with it. But my husband does not like reading, um, my stories. So he just <laughs> and it's kind of funny because um, when I got something into the pinch, and then um, they invited me to Memphis to do a reading, and my husband went with me, and um, the story ended up being about me running away from home and getting in a truck with some truckers. And, <laughs> and I just could, was like, I'm so sorry that of all the stories that I'm reading, that this is the one that you're sitting in an audience <laughs> listening to. But, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of the thing when, when you're an essayist or a short story and, and, and nonfiction is kind of your thing. I mean, we have these really vulnerable moments and we can't help but write about them. And for me, sometimes it's, it's part catharsis and it's part inspiration at the same time. You know, there's a part of me that write when I'm writing something that's like really personal, very revealing, there's catharsis in that, but there's also this part of me that's hoping that someone else will see this and, and I don't want to say be inspired or, or have, have some connection to it in their own way too. Right. And I love reading essays. I love reading the essays that even though, I mean, even the ones that don't get ultimately get accepted, it's almost with essays, it's like, but this is something's real story. It's a true story. And it's always inspiring, I think. And um, for the first time, I just taught a memoir class at the Writer's Center in Bethesda. And, you know, every single, I just looked forward to it so much hearing people's you know, because we would just go around and everyone would read like five pages of their story. And it was fabulous. Just, uh, you know, I love hearing people's stories. So, all right. So how about, you know, three quick tips about writing memoirs? What, what, uh, well, you had mentioned something about David Sedaris and I will say, and it's, it's very difficult, but you cannot be, even though you're the main 
subject, you can't be the hero. Right. You have to and be the And that's hard. You yeah. have to, yeah. Yeah. You have to, you know, warts and all, as they say, you know, you have to be really, um, examine yourself and your motive. So, so stories where you're the, oh, you're the shining angel and everyone else is the villain are, are you know, less interesting to read for other people. Le- they just need to be thought through a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so that would be one tip. I think the main thing that I see is that you need to have your work read by somebody else before you submit it anywhere. Um, I think a lot of times, especially probably with all writing, is that something that you think is clear because it's your story and it's in your head is not actually clear. And so you need to have somebody else read it first and say, hey, I don't know what's going on here or whatever. Yeah. Because if it doesn't make sense to the person you've handed off to, then it's not going to make sense to other people. And the whole point of writing the thing is to connect. It's to convey and to have that connection made with a writer. And if they're just not getting it, then you didn't do a good job getting it from your head to the paper. And I think sometimes some writers are very offended by that, but the truth is the truth. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Right. Yeah, if it, it's a story I tell a lot, so I'll tell it again. My wife is the the person I give it to, and she's like, "Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm just don't." I'm like, "If you don't get it, you're my reader. Right? <laughs> if you don't get it, then you're right, and I'm wrong." Yeah, yeah. Well, that's nice that you that she'll do that for you. I think another thing. Um, sometimes people feel like one that they have to set up the story. Like, I'll get some work sometimes that I'll be like, "Wow, this really starts on you know page two or paragraph three or something." You don't necessarily need to set up your story. Um, you can just sort of jump right in and, and start with a, a scene. Um, writing in scene, I guess, would yeah. be the. Well, you the don't write like tip. you're at a car- cocktail party where everything has to start with. So I was talking to this guy the other day. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I think when, it, when you were giving those three tips, the thing that came to mind right away was black market Paul Malls. You're not the focus of that one, the colonel is. So you drop the reader right in where the colonel's getting up from the desk. We don't know who the colonel is. We don't know who you are. But throughout that essay, you bring us into it in a way that we don't need to go all the way back to the beginning of the war to find out who the colonel is or all the way back to America to figure out who you are. You drop us in and you are able to quite effectively give us that information as we move through it. And it was an incredible piece. It's not a very long essay, but the amount of depth that you're able to kind of portray and and the way that you're able to kind of turn that relationship a little bit as we move through it, because you can see that you or the the person we're hearing this story from is kind of nervous and trying to figure out how this person fits with their belief of the war and all of these things and, and moving through that. It was just this subtle transition at the end, you know, to, to handing over, you know, the cigarettes to him. And I don't know, could you tell us a little bit how you came to that story? Because to me, it was so interesting. And having met you, I was like, whoa, this is, I would have never put you there. She so. does, well, she also doesn't, to see her and take a look at the pictures, you don't look like I, uh, and I, I used to hitchhike with truckers type, type of person either. <laughs> so <laughs> That was a long time ago. <laughs> that story came came out of me because it was early on in the presidential election. And so I was thinking a lot about refugees and I used to work with refugees. I was in Thailand and this was 1989, let's say. The Vietnamese government had just let out a group of political prisoners that were in re-education camps. And so before that, all the refugees that we had were sort of victims of the war. Not that he wasn't a victim. I mean, of course he was, but it was he, you know, all of a sudden now we're getting all of the people that had worked with the South Vietnamese government. And it was very different group of people than, than what we had had been working with. And just the fact that he had been through this horrible experience and then wanted to 
help by being a translator and help the other people. It was very moving, you know, that we could communicate in a way across all of these language barriers and cultural barriers. And I was just a kid, you know, and <laughs> that's really where it came from was sort of re- remembering that experience based on the current political goings on. And there's a difference between remembering well and then conveying what you remember well. As you're going through your life, you have to start to get a sense of what's going on around. I'm here and I'm having this experience, but also kind of cataloging it in a, in a more writer kind of way. Were you in that mode then, do you think, as, as, as a young woman? Or is that something that when you look back, it just you happen to catch all of these details? Yeah, you know, that's very interesting that you brought that up because I was, as you were saying, I was thinking about, I wasn't thinking as a essayist writer at that point, but I was, my job was to take people's stories and to mold them wow. in a way that would make immigration sympathetic to their case. So I was paying attention to details for that reason, definitely. Um, but it is interesting now, you know, coming to creative writing later in life, how you are more mentally cataloging. Sometimes all you have is sort of like a blast Polaroid moment and you got to kind of work with that. Like, or a sense. Right, yeah, or a sense or, you know, you remember a, a smell or a fear or something like that. But you don't have the whole picture. So, you know, it's tricky to work around that. And so do you have any, um, any tactics that you use for that or is it just something that the more you do it, the better you get at it? Or? Well, I think one tactic is to trust yourself so and to know that your memory is going to be imperfect and that's okay. And that what's important is how you remember something because your mind will actually crystallize on certain things and say, remember that? That was scary. And if somebody was with you and didn't have this exact same experience, they'll be like, that wasn't scary. I don't know what you're talking about. For instance, if you and your sibling go through the exact same thing, I'm sure everybody has had this experience, right? If you have siblings or maybe with your spouse or somebody and and you'll remember something one way and I'm like, that's not what happened. That wasn't, you know, like, did we grow up in a separate house? I don't know. But trust yourself because what's important isn't the exact you know, you're not a reporter, Ed. So what's important is the sense that you got from your memory. And you can see that in sometimes when I get submissions or sometimes when, when I'll, I'll read uh, maybe unpublished essays where you, you get the sense where someone's like, I need to prove that this happened by throwing extraneous facts into it. And all it does is boot me out of the story. It's like, I don't, right. I don't need to know. I don't need to know that fact. I'm sure it's a fact. You have to convince the reader that you're as reliable as you can be. And if they're not going to believe you, then adding facts just to prove yourself isn't going to help, right? It's just extraneous. Yeah. It kind of makes it worse. Like, why why do you have to tell me that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, it's like a well-crafted lie. I'm like, oh, only someone who wasn't going to tell the truth would make such an effort to know, you know, that, you know, parking was 29 cents. Parking's never been 29 cents. (laughs) No, (laughs) not in Ocean City anyway. (laughs) But I think that's one of the interesting things about memoir is that sometimes, and and I worked with a, a lady, who wanted to publish a memoir and that was one of the things that she was struggling with was the way that she remembers their childhood is going to be very different than the way that the sibling remembered it and for different reasons you know sometimes families are complicated and relationships are difficult and you know for that very notion of how someone remembers one thing and the other one's not going to I think she kind of struggled with this do I or don't I you know when you're talking about remembering how you feel is what's important 
pulling all that stuff up then trying to figure out how to negotiate with people who may still be alive, like how that's going to be interpreted. And what I would say is it's your story. So you're just telling your story. And as long as you're not making stuff up, right? Like it's the way you remember it is what makes it interesting. So what attracted you to giving these, uh, to giving them memoir classes? I used to teach English as a second language, so I always uh. like to teach. And um, I think just with editing for several years, editing in these journals, I felt like, well, I know something now yeah. <laughs> that I can share with people. And yes, I think it worked out well. Being an editor takes also a, a gentle touch because you don't want to discourage people, but right. you also don't want to let garbage into the world if you can help it. Actually, I also gave a talk at the Beta Ocean Conference on how to submit to literary magazines. Part of my talk was, remember that almost every editor of every single a literary magazine is also a writer and they are also submitting their stuff and they are also getting rejected. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we know, we know what it's like. And yeah, I don't want to discourage anyone. And I think it's great. And, and you know, it, even if just keep writing, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing and it's, it's going to get there. I just feel like rejection letters are part of the deal. Being rejected and hearing no, that's as much of being a writer as the, the, the occasional yes that you get, you know? You know, I follow like some literary groups on Twitter and so on. And there was a thing going around is you should aim for 100 rejections a year, which is, you know, don't, that doesn't mean like write crap, but it means like that means that you're always submitting, you know, just keep at it. And right. So, Editors always want to make you, they don't want to put something bad in their magazine. When you get criticism, especially if they're kind enough, because sometimes my rejection letters will come with a, we weren't nuts about this for this reason. You know, mostly it's like, we thought this was the best thing we ever read. It's just not for us now. Thanks. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you'll get, you'll get legitimate criticism or when you get something accepted, oftentimes you'll get good feedback. Cause I think people don't know that getting accepted doesn't mean that they're just going to print what you sent them, right? <laughs> getting accepted means like, we think we can work with this. And so you have to remember when you get criticisms from your editor that the idea is we want this to be even better. I see where this is an awesome story and I want I want to be able to brag about I was a person who edited this piece to get it ready for publication. Yeah, if you um, go on to the Delmarva Review Facebook page right now, there's an essay. It's called My Diseased Hope, Michelle Whitney. And we worked with Michelle quite a bit just because it was a little bit too long and, and everything. But it's a it's a wonderful piece about dealing with her depression and so on. So we have that. There's a link to it on our Facebook page right now. Length is an issue. I wrote an essay that I was pretty proud of and so many places wanted something that was 25. 500 words. I'm like, well, let me edit it down and see. And um, and then I just recently read it. I'm like, oh no, this is garbage at 2,500 words. Really? Just, yeah, just have the courage not to submit something. If What it was is it was maybe 3,500, 3,600 words. It wasn't much longer. But I'm, And that's what I'm like, ah, 1,000 words. I can lose 1,000 words. It's a piece of cake. And no, you can't. It was, yeah. it was really, yeah. really bad. <laughs> so you lost the wrong 1,000. I lost the yeah. wrong 1,000. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there was a different 1,000 I could have taken out. But the 1,000 yeah. I took out, just it just made it unclear. And my wife had already said this is clear. And I'm like, well, if it's clear this way, then with less detail, it'll be even more clear. Yeah. <laughs> That's stupid. <Yeah. laughs> so when you're approaching something as an editor, what is sort of your mental space? Because I always think that sometimes it's either like that old newspaper editor that's just like, you know, slamming the fist on the table. No, this is awful. And then I feel like if I were an editor, I'd want to be like super gentle and like, you know, try to be really easy about it. But well, I mean, remember that most people are not going to interact with me at all. You know, because we get so many submissions and unfortunately most people are just going to get the form, right? you know, back. But every once in a while you get that piece that really stands out for one reason or another and it, it seriously makes your day. You know, it's like, oh 
great. And then you're like, I can't wait to like have everybody else on board with this, you know, talk to the genre editors and the other people of the magazine. And, and when I get to send out acceptances and then that's just the greatest feeling in the world. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it feels pretty good to get them. It's gotta be pretty good to send them too. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You're like someone's day is going to be so much. That's, I guess that's why it's easier to send the acceptance than the rejection. Oh, absolutely. Like, yeah. I, someone's day is going to be worse by this. I guess you batch send them on Monday morning or something <laughs> like that. Like your day, your week hasn't gotten as bad as it's going to get let, yet. Let's start right here. Yeah, let's, let's start. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to jump back to the memoir. How do you, how are you going to shop that around? What's your plan for that? So I polished it up in a in a class, a novel writing class at the Writers Center, and I got a lot of really good feedback. So I feel like it's there, and I just need to. I'm going to read through the whole thing, make sure everything is explained, and you know all the loose ends are sort of tied up as much as I can be. I do have, you know, hopefully have an editor that's interested in reading it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, but I want to like jinx myself. (laughs) (laughs) Just start knocking on stuff. Yeah. (laughs) What's difficult, because you said you were in a a novel writing class, and um, I've not taken any uh, writing classes since I was in college, and... Like I'm fortunate, I have I have friends who are writers, and, yeah. and they're always yeah. helpful. But th- it takes an amount of trust to be in a course like that because I mean, again, in my college experience, I always got stuck next to the dumbest kid in the class, and <laughs> I'm like, okay, and now I just have to go through and erase all of the things that you wrote on this so I can give it to someone who can read, <laughs> you know. But on the other side of that, you don't want to be arrogant about it. Like, are they stupid or am I bad? And that's something that you, I guess, have to do a lot more with when you're in classes. Yeah, you know. There's always going to be the people whose opinions you just go. That's doesn't mean they're wrong. It just means you don't get me, or you don't. You and I don't think on the same plane. So this group is. It's you know you do group critiques every time you meet, and you can hear what people are the advice they're giving to other people, and you can then that sort of goes. Well, yeah, I, I don't agree you know. with that either. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah so that's then, a really good trick. Yeah, like again, not that they're wrong, but that they just they don't think the same way you do. So you can just kind of not take those criticisms. Yeah. And there's other people who you really want to impress and whose opinions really matter. Yeah. It's like not a one size, it's not not a one size fits all t-shirt. You know, I mean, there are certain people who may be very good, I don't know, historical fiction people who may not necessarily be good at science fiction. You know I mean? So sometimes I think may have, there may be a writer who you really admire and you know, they're really good, but that may not be necessarily the best relationship for you to establish, you know, writer to writer, writer to mentor. You know, I think you have to find someone that gets you, gets the vision of the project and, and, you know, like you said, kind of helps set up this relationship where when they say something, you're going to trust it and know that it's not just out of left field. I've had a lot of editors where I got the feeling that they wanted me to go collect a couple facts that they could make into a story. <laughs> and that always drives me bananas. So I try to be as light as possible. Because a lot of times when you're on deadline, especially when I was in the newspaper business, a lot of times you have to make largish changes for space, not even, yeah, not even yeah. for content. But what I always try to do is not put my voice into it. And that was, and I'm really, really arrogant. So it was really hard for me to learn to keep my paws off of someone else's work unless I'm going to improve it generally, not just improve it to make it more like the way I wanted it. And so 
when I would be able to publish a story that that I was like, that is technically good, and I'm sure it's interesting to someone. It's not the way I would have done it, but it's okay to not do it the way I would have done it. That is tricky. Yeah, I've definitely tried to not mess with somebody's style. Right. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, you can get in there and like rewrite it the way I would write it. And then, <laughs> <laughs> then it would be the Emily review, and right. it wouldn't be very interesting. And you you are all all across genres in this. So. Yeah. What's that? What's that like? Switching gears? Do you put them all in like separate piles and do them? Yeah, so we use Submittable, and they all come in, um, and they're grouped by genre as they come in. I do not trust myself enough on poetry to read it first, so I always wait for the poetry editors, you know, to to make their recommendations before I read. But with the fiction and nonfiction, I'll go through. And but you read don't. It. You don't have. You can read a fiction then a nonfiction. You don't have to. Put Definitely, it. yeah. But the thing I can't do is read too many at a time because that's not fair. You know, you get fatigued or whatever. And I try not to read more than like an hour at a time and then take a break because you don't want to have anybody, you know, come up short just because you were you're grouchy or whatever. You know? <laughs> that's why, that's why I, that's why they didn't ask me to edit it. Cause I'm always grouchy. <laughs> the last review has already kind of come to a close mm-hmm. and how are you sort of approaching the end of that? And then how do you sort of launch for the new, new review? Well, so we're doing something different this year, something new. We're trying to attract more, local writers. So we are having a contest. So the regular submission period for DeMarva Review is closed. It closed March 31st. But the contest is called Chesapeake Voices. It's either um, fiction or nonfiction, and it can be about anything vaguely Chesapeake related. And that closes May 31st. So you can go onto our website and get the information about how to submit to the contest. And that's com. Yep, .com. Awesome. And now this is your first, um, this is the first issue that you've edited. Yeah. That's just out yeah. now. I worked on this one, but the, the one that's coming out now is. Oh, all right. So this, this is, this is the one that no one's, there are two books on the table. You've not been the sole editor on either of them. No. <laughs> this was, yeah, this is the one that I got my piece into so i didn't have anything to do with editing and then this one i think they call me an editorial advisor right just just helping (laughs) out now we i know we can't make you put limericks in the delmar review but we can we can send you our own limericks if you're if you're interested in getting them yeah so if you listen to the podcast and you want to get a postcard with a limerick and a haiku you can just go to the so what's your story podcast dot com page and there's a contact us form where you can fill out your name your email pick a word I'll make it into a haiku. I'll send it to Tony. He'll put it into a limerick, and we'll slap a stamp on it and send it to you in the mail. Just like it's 1850. Um, And a couple other things in case you're interested in all of our writers that have been on the show, you can go to SoWhatYourStoryPodcast.com, and you'll see all of their bios, and the most of the writers provide a reading, and um, they're all good, and and it's, it's a good way to get a flavor of which of the writers are going to do are, are gonna how the stories are going and, and see if it's something that you'd be that you'd be interested in reading yep and we posted a, a reading that emily did for us of her story retrieving my belongings and, and just as a just as a side note i really really enjoyed that um i know i already said it but i want to say it again because as she was reading i'm like oh i remember how much i like this and I, that had to be three years ago right yeah and just really entertaining so so if nothing else if you're not if you don't have a delmarva review and you can grab one you can just skip ahead to that one (laughs) but uh, it was really really entertaining so thank you for sharing with it and uh now stephanie this is the part of the show where you thank the guest well emily thank you so much for coming and being on the podcast great to be here you guys are great well thanks it was a pleasure so what's your story was recorded at saltwater media 
an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at SoWhatsYourStoryPodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and feel free to give us a great review. Tell your story.